And we talk about Herod without realizing who it is truly that we're talking about. History gives us a story of this king that is quite compelling in terms of its intrigue, in terms of even some of the more Hollywood moments. This is a man who has done evil. This is a man who has done things that uh, questionable at best. Life and death in his hands has been hazard so often. And as we see in the story, the truth that he killed that many small babies, small children, in order to retain control of his kingdom is true. This was a, a man who was willing to do such a thing in order to keep his kingdom the way that it was. He's a messy guy. He had been given the ability to rule by Rome. Rome had allowed him to continue, and he had taken that opportunity to make his name great. If you do go to Israel, Israel continues to be marked by this man and his line. The Herodian that he talks about is arguably one of the greatest archaeological sites in all of Israel in terms of its beauty and the scope of its development. In fact, what Herod had done with a number of his different buildings, including Masada, one of the famous, famous places made famous by the movie that came out about 30 or 40 years ago, it's an incredible spot. I've been there. It's on a mountain in the middle of nowhere. And the reason that he built it, Herod did, was in order to be protected. See, Herod was actually not of the Jews from the Jerusalem area. He was actually from what is now Syria. And what he did with some of his architecture was build strongholds and fortresses that led from Jerusalem back to his homeland in order for him to have different places. If there were trouble in Jerusalem, for him to go, be safe, and take the next step towards his people who would then protect him. If you draw a line between Jerusalem and his people, you will find these incredible, incredible architectural buildings and structures. They were his safe houses. And unfortunately, those safe houses, which are vast in scope, in fact, one of them is a mountain that is over, it's almost a thousand feet high that had never been there. He built that mountain on the backs of his people. He forced them into labor, moving literally a mountain one basketful at a time. In fact, the teaching from Jesus that he says it would be easier for a man to move a mountain was actually in view while he was very close geographically to this mountain that Herod himself had built. And all of this had been done in the backs of the Jews. The monies, the work, the labor the taxation, all that stuff had been taken from the Jews. He was not considered a great king in the minds of his people. 
And so when the Magi came to him from the east for the purpose of finding this king child in order to worship him, for Herod to hear that, you can imagine, was very disconcerting. He had created this incredible kingdom of power. This was a place where he was very much in control. Oh yes, at, at the um, will and favor of the Romans, but the Romans appreciated Herod because he brought political stability to the area. If anyone were to try to stand up, and it had happened in the past, if there was anyone who would stand up in order to rebel against Rome, Herod was the first guy in line to quell the revolt and to kill his own people. Because if they ruled instead of he, he wouldn't have near the control that he did. He's a messy guy. So the story of this king child would have hazarded all that he had built, and this certainly wasn't good news to him. And so he responds to the coming of the Messiah in a very different way. Obviously, he's the villain of the story. He's fearful. He's fearful that this new king would take over and leave him with nothing. If he kept his life, even. If they didn't kill him. And remember, that's the way things went. If this time, if, if it happened at this time, if a new king came into power, if there was a rebellion or a group of people that held up a new leader, that new leader would do everything in their power to kill the previous leader, not only them, but their lineage, so that there could not be an argument about who was truly king. There could only be one, one royal line. In fact, we see that in the Old Testament with David. David and, and Saul's family, he had left one of them alive. And because one was alive, it could still be proven that Saul's kingship was not over. When a new king took power, he killed everyone. So for us to hear the story of Herod sending his soldiers to Bethlehem of Judea in order to kill all the little children... It makes sense. Politically, of course it doesn't make sense morally. Who can justify such an action? But sometimes when you're fearful of giving up control, you do crazy things. Herod shows us that. And his delusions, unfortunately, had consequences, not only for him, because he never knew Jesus, knew Jesus in the sense of Jesus being the Lord of his life. And later on in the story, when we hear of Jesus going before King Herod, it's a different Herod. It's one of his, one of his line. It's not the same one. But this Herod never knew Jesus. That's a consequence. But also the consequences for the others. Imagine being a mother. Imagine being a father. And your 18-month-old child is torn from your grasp, never to be seen again. There's consequence 
in how we respond to the Messiah. And in the case of Herod, the consequence was eternal and painful. Now, what do we take away from Herod's story? Well, first of all, for us to understand that we live in a world where there are others who respond to the coming of Jesus, perhaps not with the scope of evil and with the scope of emotion or sheer rage that Herod did, but they respond with the same sort of rejection. People can feel this way about Jesus because Jesus comes and calls to account. Jesus comes and says, I am here. Will you accept me? Will you receive me? Will you engage with me in relationship? And there are people who would say, no, certainly not, because when you come, if you are who you say you are, I am forced to confront the fact that I need you. I need need you, and if I need you, then I need to do what you say to me. I need to trust you with my life. I need to live in accordance with what you say. And I need to struggle with what it is that is going on inside of me. I have to give up that control, and, and I'm not very comfortable with that. Remember, we've said before that in the context of who we are as human beings, control is our automatic default system. We want to be in control of our lives. How many of us have said before, we're control freaks because we are. And if Jesus comes and is who he really says he is, and we believe it, it means we need to give up control because he's king. He's the new king. He's the He's Lord. Everything has to be given to Him as we serve Him. When Christ is acknowledged as King, certainly something is lost. Control? Independence? The ability to determine right and wrong on one's own? And for much of the world, that's simply not the way that they desire to live. They want to be in control. They want independence. They want to do what is right. I have the right to choose to live my life the way that I want it. It was interesting. My, my wife and I had the privilege on Friday of going to the Lion King. And we were just there for the sheer enjoyment of it. And the sets were amazing. And it was a really fun time. But even within this Disney movie, you hear these sorts of things. And I'll never forget this scene. Maybe you've seen it. Simba has left Pride Rock. He's in the middle of the jungle. And he's with uh, Timon and Pumbaa, the warthog and the meerkat. And he's living this new life of Hakuna Matata, freedom, being able to do what it is that he wants to do. And suddenly, his old life revisits him through what? Nala. 
Nala, his old playmate when he was a young cub. And Nala comes to the jungle to hunt and she's chasing the, uh, the warthog and the meerkat and, and she is confronted by Simba. And Simba is suddenly confronted with the idea that Hakuna Matata, you know, living your life the way that you want to, may not be the way that he should do it. And what is it that he says to Nala? He says, Who are you? To tell me how to live my life. How often do we hear that? I'm the parent of teenagers, perhaps daily, weekly. And the world says it. And we as Christians say it. See, this is not for outside, this is not a message. For us just to hear for the world that we live in. It's a message for us to hear for ourselves. Because to what degree have you and I retained control and independence from our King? Where is it that you and I have held on and said, Lord, you can have this and this and this, but not this. This is mine. I like it. I don't want you to mess with it. I'm king here. You can have this. That's, that's, that's a good place for you to be. Here's a good place for you to be. Not this. Don't know. Uh-uh. I'm king here. I wear a crown or a tiara, and I look very nice in it. See, in some ways, not to the degree... Not to the same extent, not to the same depth, but you and I still retain a little bit of Herod in our lives as we respond to the Messiah. Think about the story from Mark chapter 10 of the rich young ruler. If you read that story, you will hear the story of what? An unbeliever? A person on the outside who struggles with Jesus' control? No, not nearly. In fact, if you read the story closely, this is a person who would probably be a a member of the church. He was certainly part of the Jewish religion tradition. He knew the law. He knew the prophets. He obeyed it all. He said, I have done these things that you have said for me to do. And then Jesus says, oh yeah, guess what? There's another part of your life that is your kingdom. Give that to me too. I'm king there too. That's mine too. And what does the rich young ruler do? He says, oh, whoa, I can't do that because I like my crown. I like my wealth. And I like there to be king in that part of my life. And it should give us pause because we need to pose the question, where is it that we hold on to rule in our lives? We have it. Don't don't delude yourself. 
Don't say, I don't have that. If you didn't have that, my expectation would be that Jesus would have brought him to your, him, he would have brought you to himself because there's no purpose for you to be on the earth anymore. The purpose for us to be on the earth is to grow deeper in relationship with Him. And if you've grown as deep as you possibly could and given over full and complete rulership of your life to Him, then I would expect that Jesus would call you home because there's no more for you to do here. And yet, none of you have disappeared during this message. You're still present. And you'll notice that I'm still here too. Because goodness, so much of my life yet needs to be taken over by the rule of the Holy Spirit and Christ's work in me. There is so much yet for Him to do in me to take over. For me to let go of my independence and allow Him to control. I have a lot of Herod yet in me, and I pray that the Spirit continues His work in me to bring me to Himself. And as we look at the text, we see how some of that works out. We see at least pointers. We see at least echoes of it. Now, first of all, let's deal with the challenge. The challenging thing about Christ's coming is that it does change everything. The like of his kingdom had never been seen before. And for Herod, Herod Herod didn't know what to do with that. Herod's idea was to kill all the boys, to kill all the children, because that would stop his kingdom from coming. But he didn't understand that Christ's kingdom coming wasn't like any other. There had never been anything like this before. You don't stop it through a show of power. You don't stop it through a show of force. You don't stop it by doing the things that had worked before. You don't engage with it in the same way that you have with every other power or authority or kingdom that had been before. Because Christ is different, unique. Herod didn't realize that. My guess is that when he received back the report from the leader of his soldiers who had journeyed to Bethlehem, Herod looked upon them, saw the blood even still spattered upon their uniforms, and thought, oh good, my kingdom is sure. He didn't realize that this was a different kingdom that you don't. You don't stop. You don't stop in this way. Uh, There will be shedding of blood in this kingdom. But it happens in a very different and unique fashion. Herod had anticipated a battle with his new king based on power, upon wealth, and upon being in control. But Christ's kingdom, this new thing being brought by the Christ child, God's Son coming to earth, was a kingdom of love, 
kingdom of service, a kingdom of worship, a kingdom of relationship. It wasn't about living in a castle in Jerusalem and passing edicts and laws in order to make sure that your people were under your thumb. It was equipping them with the presence and the Holy Spirit's power so that they might take the kingdom wherever it is that they go throughout the world, that they might carry your name and your power instead of exercising it. Herod didn't know that this new kingdom came with a different type of leader. Well, what type of leader? Verse 6. Let's read verse 6. It's actually prophecy from Micah. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the soldier of my people Israel. Oh wait, I read that wrong will be the authority of my people Israel, who will be the oppressor of my people Israel, who will be the shepherd, shepherd. Kings aren't shepherds. Kings don't carry shepherd's staffs. Kings don't live among the things they care for in the meanness of life, in the dirt of life. Kings don't protect by going out among the ones that they rule and being the one standing guard to keep them from being harmed, they send others to do that. But a shepherd does. It's exactly, it's exactly what a shepherd does. So even in the text, if Herod would have listened, if Herod would have truly understood, then he might have seen Something different is going on here. And there's a part of me that really wants to say to these religious teachers and rulers who helped him out, what were you guys thinking? Couldn't you figure it out and get it? Jesus' kingdom brought with him was a completely different thing never seen before. Because it was one where instead of power and authority, it did come with love and giving up of one's power. It's exactly what Jesus did. Remember, Philippians 2, he was the one who had everything in heaven and the presence of his Father and the Holy Spirit. He could breathe and make a mountain. He could wink. And kingdoms would rise and fall. But he emptied himself. Made himself one with us. 
What a different kingdom. Christ wouldn't be king because he killed, but because he died. Christ's rulership is not based upon him taking the power, but on him taking upon himself the sin of the ones that he ruled. This changes everything. And in our world, it still holds true. And the hard part is that he calls us to now do something that has never been seen before. He calls you and me to die too. He did it. And now the text reminds us, now I call you to do it too. Die to yourselves. Die independence. Die control. Die desire for power, for wealth, for position, for authority. Die to that so that I might give you life, that I might give you hope, that I might give you a purpose, and that I might equip you through my Spirit to be a part of power and authority and my transformation in the world, the likes of which you've never seen before. Die to yourself, just like I did so that you might have life like you've never seen. The challenge is is that some may never accept this type of king. But as the Spirit empowers us and moves in our hearts and our lives to reflect more of Christ's kingship in us, And as we die to ourselves, more of Him shows out in us. More of Him is shown in the world. As you and I are transformed by His love into more loving people. As we are transformed by His service in our hearts to lives of servants. As we are transformed by His Spirit's presence to lives of worship. As we are transformed by His engagement with us to new lives of relationship with Him and with the world around us. We bear witness to the King that we carry with us. We show Him. We don't wear our crown. We wear His. People see Him in us. And that has power. That has power to transform. As Christ is shown in us, and His kingship and His rule of our lives, there is power there that we can't even fathom and fully understand. Because we don't even know who witnesses it. We don't even know who sees it. We have no concept sometimes of how Christ does His work to show Himself through us. By living in submission to our King, we show Him to an unbelieving world. And who knows what might happen then? Who knows? 
on Thursday of this week, there was a memorial service at a church in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada, for a man named Ken Vanderswag. Ken actually visited here at the river about seven months ago. He and his wife Pam would spend some time during the cold, frigid Ontario winters out here in Palm Springs for some repose. Three years ago, Ken had been diagnosed with leukemia. Ken had coached me in basketball all five years of high school. I know what you're thinking, five years, what happened, Algersma? In Canada, that's the way things work, okay? Back off. This was a vibrant man, energetic man. He would practice with us. He was a lefty, and he could shoot the lights out from three land. But it wasn't the basketball stuff. It made every difference in the world to me. It was him mentoring me, encouraging me, blessing me in so many different ways, simply by his example. He was living out, without even knowing it in my life, the rulership of Jesus Christ. And he had great impact, not only on me, but on others and on that entire community. A group of friends and I got together, uh, friends from high school got together and talked about how we could bless Pam, Ken's wife, in her time of mourning, and send our condolence. And we talked about it, said, she said um, flowers weren't something that she wanted. Um, we could send something to the school on his behalf. But we decided as a group of about eight of us to start a movement towards a scholarship in Ken's name. Um, didn't know how that would go. On Friday of, not this past Friday, the Friday before, I spent some time putting together a Facebook page in order to generate some energy towards a scholarship. And I invited, at that time, I invited five people to like the page just so we could talk about how we might do this. Presently, that page has over 215 members. Because Christ showed out in Ken. Christ showed out in over 215 people who want to support somebody being a part of Christian education on Ken's behalf. And that page has received over 500 views by different people who are interested in the life of Ken Vanderswag. Now Ken, if you would have talked to him, he was a very humble man. Pretty quiet guy, actually. Would have been absolutely blown away that over 200 former students of his would want to bless him, honoring his name with a scholarship in his name for Christian education. He would have said, no way. That would never happen. Because Ken couldn't have known the impact that he had in the name of Jesus in the lives of a whole lot of folks. 
you don't know either. You have no idea. I guarantee you, you do not know the stories that could be told of how Christ has already shown itself out in your life, how Christ has shown himself to the world, to others, to people that you have had impact upon. My encouragement to you today is simply this. Allow Christ to shine out through you. Give up the independence where you carry your own crown for your own parts of your own life. Take you out of the equation, being less of you so that he might be more in you because as he is, his kingdom grows, his glory is shown. His rule and kingship over his creation grows in its abundance and its power. And who knows? God may yet use you and I to bring people to himself so that their eternities might be changed. And the consequence for Christ's rule in our lives continues on, grows and builds his kingdom more and more. Would you pray with me? Praise you, O God, for your rulership, your kingship in our hearts and our lives. Father, we know that it is hard to give up our own control, our own independence, our own desires, our own plans, our own purposes. We know, O oh Lord God, that you have work to do in us and we ask that you move us to more and more willingness to give up control. Father, may our independence die May our control die. May we truly die to ourselves so that you and your spirit might live evermore in us. I pray, O oh God, through the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit, the rulership of you in our lives is shown more and more to the world around us so that your glory might grow that your power might grow, that your kingdom might grow, and that, Lord, if you will it, that others might grow into relationship with you so that your kingdom continues to develop, grow, and move, that we can see this world continue to be changed until you will come again and bring it all to yourself in all its fullness. You are Lord, you are King, you are God. We pray all this in your Son, the King's name. Amen.